everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Kopi Ruenza. Yes, that was just a teaser. And this is what exactly what I do at the backstage, you know. I mean, it's so happy to be in our own home studio, which is just converted over the past uh, 18 months. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Once again, welcome to Kopi Ruenza. And today, our topic is all about cancer. Prevention is better than cure, as usual, before we start any of our talk shows. There must be always the signature cup of Kopi Ruenza. And there we go. I hope everyone is having a, a fantastic day today. Um, with uh, Of course, the weather is pretty hot, so I'm sure everybody is hydrating as well. Okay, let's come back to the topic today. Um, and today I have a very uh, a great speaker with me. Uh, we don't know much of uh, well-known of both of us, but I think we connect uh, very beautifully. We had a great conversation just before we going on live. And um, yes, he is our associate professor, which I will uh, explain to you a little bit more later on that. But let me just go to cover this topic as well, right? The cancer, all right? It's a large group that of a group of a disease that can start in almost any organ or tissue of the body. Cancer happens when abnormal cells grow uncontrollably and invade nearby parts of the body. Uh, it's spread to other organs. Cancer is also the second leading, can you imagine? Second leading cause of death globally, accounting for one in six deaths. In Singapore, the top three most common cancers in men are colon, rectum, and prostate, and lung as well. While the three most common cancers in women are breast, colon, rectum, and lung as well. Interestingly, the World Health Organization states that between 30 to 50% of cancer deaths can be prevented. Prevention also offers the most effective long-term strategy for control of cancer. So tonight, Kopi with Vance is privileged to have Associate Professor Ravindran Ganeshwaran to share with us more about cancer prevention. But you know, and before every topic I start or bring my expertise on board, I know I usually do a little bit of research as well. But you know, amazing, right? We have billions and billions of cells in within our body, which are our cells. But somehow or other, they turn against us. And they, you know, all parts of the body can, so cancer can happen any part of the body. And we also know that there are three types of therapies for cancer treatment, right? And with surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy as well. So without any further ado, I'm going to invite um, Dr. Ravindran on board. Um, but I'm just going to do a little bit more intro before I get the honor of my guest speaker to be coming, all right? So our Associate Professor Ravindran Kanisaran is a Deputy Head and a Senior Consultant of the Division of Medical Oncology on the National Cancer Centre, Singapore. He's also an Associate Professor at the Duke NUS Medical School and Clinical Senior Lecturer of the Yonglun Lin School of Medicine, National University of Singapore. His research interests include GU Oncology, and geriatric oncology and has published a number of well-known peer journals, including Journal of Clinical Oncology and Lancet Oncology. He's the national representative and also the first Asia president-elect for the International Society of our Geriatric Oncology. So let's invite Dr. Ravi. Prof. Hi there, Prof. Hey, hi. Hi, once. How are you? You're looking, I am uh, good, sir. How about you, yeah, sir? Looking all good as well. Um, I, I didn't know about the signature coffee cup. Otherwise, I would have brought my own as well. Next time, I should do that. <laughs> I will definitely pass one of that uh, in very soon to you. Thank you, doctor, for coming on board. Um, I know you might have a, a long day ahead today because I know all doctors are usually very busy. 
I've never seen any doctors who are just very relaxing and chilling, you know. Um, so how was your day, Dr. Trey? Okay, all good. All good. Waiting to uh, be interviewed by you. Sorry, I, I lost audio a bit uh, once. I can't, I can't hear you. Oh, sorry, Doc. So some of our viewers also from Indonesia yeah. have actually popped in and I'm sure they're also getting some questions ready for us for later. So any Q&A, we will be taking in the last 15 minutes okay. of the time and uh, we will share with um, Prof to actually answer. So Prof, um, I'm going to ask you the first question itself. Um, but before going on that, I know I've already done your intro, but um, can you just in a nutshell, just say about yourself, Doc? Okay, can. Um, so basically, I'm a medical oncologist. So earlier, you rightly mentioned, you know, cancer therapy is divided into surgery, radiation, and uh, chemotherapy. So a medical oncologist actually deals with the chemotherapy part. So we uh, dispense medication, maybe hormonal, targeted, immunotherapy. There's so many different new classes of therapy. But basically, we are the medical, uh, we handle the medical part of it. The surgeons operate and the radiation oncologist will deliver radiotherapy uh, using, you know, very, uh, nowadays they have a lot of state-of-the-art kind of machines that deliver radiation to kill cancer cells. So, so that's my, my specialty, but my special interest is in cancer in older adults. And that's what you read earlier about, uh, you read it out, geriatric oncology. Basically, older patients, 65 and above, I have a special interest in treating them. Uh, because they are unique, they, they have other medical problems, there are many drugs which can interact with each other, um, so they need a lot more uh, specialised attention than just younger adults with cancer. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you. Um, I mean, before we even start our talk show, um, I actually lost my dad for cancer uh, oh, about two years back. So I do know the processes, the stages, um, you know, when he was diagnosed for lung cancer, um, he was just basically having a cough and he was a, a young boy, you know, jumping around and all that stuff. But unfortunately, um, cancer doesn't um, send you invitation. It just comes to anyone. Um, so rather a fit person or non-fit person, young or old, you know, somehow rather dog, I mean, before we even start with our questions, why is that the cancer just turned against us? I mean, why is it... You know, there isn't any indications, right? I mean, when the indication comes in, probably it's, it's already a bit late. And of course, someone who does, you know, checks on markers, cancer markers, then they identify, oh, I got an issue. But other than that, you know, normal healthy people also can fall into that. Maybe we want to start the gear on that before we can go into our question. Can, can, no, no, it's a, it's a good question. A lot of people ask why, isn't it? Why me? Why I've been healthy? I don't smoke. I don't drink. And... There are other people who smoke and drink why they don't get cancer right so these are questions that that always uh, come up uh, come up in people's minds now there are many reasons why people get cancer about 15 to 10 to 15 percent are hereditary so they may be genes that are deleterious that means genes that are abnormal that are passed down from generation to generation and that can cause cancer which means the majority actually happens during the course of a person's life from various causes. Later, I can share with you some slides going through some of these causes of cancer, which, which include um, things, habits that we have like smoking, alcohol intake, the food that we eat, you know, maybe a cause as well. Of course, there are some myths 
and some things have actual scientific evidence that it causes it. So we need to differentiate because always, you know, on the internet and also on WhatsApp, we get forwarded a lot of messages, oh, this thing causes cancer, that thing causes cancer, avoid this, avoid that. I think at the end of the day, you need to go back to reliable sources. But definitely there are things in the environment that may trigger your cells to mutate. And uh, these triggers, some of them are clear cut, very well known, like cigarette smoke. Uh, but then there are other things that are probably less well known, including infections. And I think one of the things we can discuss later on would be infections that are preventable. That means vaccines that we can take that can prevent us from getting the infection. And by not getting the infection, we are preventing ourselves from getting cancer as well. Thank you, Prof, for that. That, um, so let's get started on the uh, first question itself. Uh, according to the local stats, one in every four to five Singaporeans may develop cancer in their lifetime and the number of people living with cancer will increase. And we know that as we age, the risk of developing cancer increases. So cancer is the leading cause of death in Singapore. So can we prevent the cancer or is it even possible to prevent cancer in older person? I mean, that's what your expert is. Yeah. No, it's a good question. So I think first thing I want to highlight is uh, cancer is the number one cause of death in Singapore. So earlier you were, you were discussing about mortality in the US, you know, it's number number two. And actually now in most countries, developed countries, it's number one. So in Singapore, it's number one. One in three people in Singapore die from cancer. So it's much higher than heart attacks and, and infection and all that. Um, and come back, coming back to your question about whether it's preventable or not, the answer is in many circumstances, it probably is because the cause of cancer can be things that you can prevent yourself from doing or consuming. For example, as I mentioned, smoking, alcohol, um, you know, certain dietary habits, obesity is linked with cancer as well. So not taking care of your health, lack of exercise, choosing the wrong kinds of food, all those things can make a difference. Now, the part about older people having a higher risk of getting cancer is true because the older you are, the more risk you carry of having mutations to your cells that can cause normal cells to become cancerous. So that one increases with age. So that is true. But between two people who are aged 80 years old, there's always one person who may have a higher risk compared to the other person for various reasons. Maybe they harbor certain infections that increase risk of cancer. Maybe their lifestyle, they are smokers versus non-smokers. I think one thing you hear me saying multiple times is cigarette smoke, you know, is a major cause of multiple different types of cancers. Huh? There's so many different components of the cigarette um, smoke that actually causes cancer. So is it preventable? The answer is yes. But do we know all the causes? The answer is no. And we're still learning every day. So there will be circumstances where you have a healthy, fit person uh, who still may get cancer, right? But the risk of getting cancer is lower if you maintain a good, healthy lifestyle versus someone who neglects exercise and things like that. Thank you, doctor, for that. And uh, we have uh, one of our weavers, Regina Stella Thomas. She said that I'm a cancer survivor as well. Uh, God bless you, Regina. Thank you for that uh, particular um, uh, message itself. So we have more messages that's coming in right now. Um, so we have uh, Kalanidhi has mentioned that uh, number one, 
uh, developed country wonder what's the relation there is not anything to do with the developed countries environment but also dog um coming back to that the, the question that we asked i mean we 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 said that you know in the older person the cancer is higher in chances is that one of the reasons why the immune system or because of the um, aging process and maybe we we will we will we will want to talk a bit of time on the mental state but is it more because we 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 start to learn about stress so is it about managing lifestyle um you know trying not to go into that you know not in a proper sleep not hydrating not into look at dietary or nutrition or even we always turn outwards we always work longer hours than before we we don't have much of a rest and it, it seems like are we making making ourselves as a victim for this is is it is it could be the reason so uh, you pointed out a few key points and i think this links up well with the question that uh, one of the viewers had asked just now about why developed countries it's number one and uh, if that's anything to do with the environment again uh, there are many reasons for this one is you know healthcare in healthcare systems in developed countries are, is better uh, which allows for people to grow older live longer and unfortunately this links back to what you asked just now when you grow older vans what happens is your cells can take on more dna damage or mutations over time and that increases their risk of getting cancer so a person who's 65 years and older has a 11 times higher risk of getting cancer than someone who's younger than 65 so having an aging population is one of the reasons why cancer becomes uh, more prominent in terms of a cause of death in in developed countries so one is that is one reason the other one about environment you you mentioned a few good points which as of now we don't have a lot of research on which i think it's important for us to know how does work life you know balance or stress increase the risk of cancer anecdotally I've, i mean all of us see patient, you know people who are under a lot of stress and duress they end up with many kinds of illnesses right with heart attacks and all that but cancer is also also one of those things that uh may be increased with stress but we don't have good research to prove that because how do you quantify stress you do surveys you ask people are you stressed or not but is there a, a physiologic measure there there are people who do studies they look at steroid levels you know and things like that hormonal levels in your body to quant- to try to quantify stress but we can't it's a it's a feeling right it's a sensation for a lot of people uh they they can't really there's no way to quantify that so that's why studies involving stress and cancer uh is really hard to do um but everything you mentioned sleep diet all that definitely plays a role i think large studies have shown you know certain diets have an increased risk of uh, causing cancer eating more red meat eating uh fewer vegetables and fruits you know things like that are not good thank you prof for that uh prof i mean prior to this um i did a little of a research i mean that's one of my uh, interests in the medical and health because i'm actually purely from the fitness and health but um you know it is very uh, interesting uh, um a study was done in the us uh, and i think they are practicing this uh, they are trying to integrate with therapies like acupuncture neuropathic medicine chiropractic nutrition dietary and then blend them together for treatment plan for people with 
um, cancer. cancer. Um, is there any um, positive signs uh, that 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 uh, oncologists are seeing it at the moment? Yeah, yeah, no, they are, and that's why they've incorporated some of these things. And if you go to leading cancer centers, uh, the big ones would be Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York or Dana Farber in Boston. They all have some form of integrative medicine incorporated into their cancer treatment programs. This includes exercise, diet, uh, acupuncture has been shown to be very good for pain control. So you know, cancer patients who are suffering from pain, especially nerve-related pains, uh, sometimes medications alone won't work. So you add on you know, all these complementary uh, treatments that are effective as well. Um, there are others that are still exploring things like TCM, uh, Ayurveda, yeah, but a lot of those medications have not been proven yet to be useful in treating the cancer, but may be used as an adjunct to, to complement the use of uh, chemotherapy, radiation and stuff like that. So um, I think that's something even as a cancer center here in Singapore, we're hoping to explore. Uh, we're moving to a new building next year. So hopefully, you know, we'll have more space to explore some of these, uh, you know, integrative therapies. But it's, it's already in place in many centers. And exercise, even while on treatments like chemotherapy, has been proven to be effective in, reduce, in improving symptom control, giving you energy, and actually prolonging survival. You know, doctor, just to add on that, um, I, I mean, as a holistic fitness that I'm doing right now, um, I do train a few of um, cancer survivors, right? What I've actually noticed that the mental condition, um, the mental resilience has become stronger. I, I do tend to see there's a huge amount of positivityness that's coming in, right? The huge amount of positivityness that's coming in within them. Um, I think it's, it's, it's like a whole package itself, right? I mean, you just have to make sure that you, you take your medicines, you try to do a recovery, and then, you know, you, you tend to take care of yourself. So I think it's a, it's a big process that we are all should be looking at. You know, that's what we call prevention. Uh, am I right to say that? Yeah, so uh, you're right, because prevention means trying your best not to get cancer in the first place, right? So uh, making all those lifestyle changes that are necessary in order for you to prevent that from happening. But prevention um, has one more facet to it, and we can discuss this a bit later as well, which is picking it up early in case you've already done everything you can, but in spite of that, you have a higher risk of getting cancer, either, you know, high family history, high risk of, uh, you know, getting cancer because other members have it. Then you want to do screening tests as well. So there's certain screening tests that are useful, some are not. And sometimes everything gets jumbled up together in all that exact screening that people go for, you know, blood tests and all. Um, and, and yeah, we can discuss that as well. Because when you do screening, you are actually trying to pick it up at the earliest stages so you can actually still achieve cure. But ideally, of course, if you can prevent it, that, that'll be the goal. You know, doctor, I think um, we, are, we are not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure uh, when was cancer was it's such a uh, deadly disease was ever found. But until then, so much of research has been done. So much of trials has been going on. You know, medical science is always trying to do a breakthrough of this. But, you know, this seems to be a... Um, do do we see a light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, in, in the years to come. I mean, we have improved. Um, yeah. Medical therapies has improved. So many things has improved. But do you think, will there be ever a cure for this uh, daily disease? 
in the future? That's uh, the golden question that, you know, I don't think anybody can have a clear answer at this point in time. I think what has definitely happened is medical science has brought us, you know, uh, to regions we have not, you know, thought it's possible, you know. So firstly, I give you an example, lung cancer, you know, maybe 20 years ago, we just had some basic chemotherapy. And when you had cancer and stage four lung cancer, um, and I, I presume your dad may have had that as well, the survival was anywhere between, somewhere between six months to a year, even with chemotherapy and all that. Now we've discovered that even amongst patients with stage four lung cancer, there are various subtypes. We call them molecular subtypes. It means they carry specific mutations and the newest, latest therapies are targeted. They hit those particular mutations and actually can shrink a lot of those tumors very well. Some even achieving some level of uh, short-term cure. And we're looking at average survivals for those kind of patients hitting four to five years now. So it's nearly five times what they used to, you know, experience in the past. So bottom line is, you know, science has brought us, uh, you know, to uh, brought a lot of advances to uh, patients who suffer from this in the late stages, but they still eventually will succumb to the disease, unfortunately. So that's why we still need to do more. There's still a lot of active research in this area. Uh, but to answer your question, cure, not there yet. We always hope we'll reach there some someday, and I believe we will. But when, that's a question. There's a golden uh, question to be answered yeah. eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you, Prof. Um, we'll be going into the the part where we always want to talk about uh, yeah. sleep, uh, diet, physical activity, and cancer risk. Yeah. Do you, Do you want me to share some slides? I can. Yes, Doc. Please, please go through. I know. Yeah. I know you have so, some slides for you. Yes, please. Yeah. Just Just. Uh, brief thing this is one of the um you know common uh, i guess talks that i okay uh that we we give to you know uh, general public as well for information so i hope it's uh, can you see my screen yes doc i do yeah, okay do. so okay very briefly I, I, it's a few slides okay this is the national cancer center um i mean we do a lot of research as well and uh uh, so this is one book I would recommend for people who want to know the history of cancer. So it's a biography of cancer. It tells you when the earliest, you know, reports of cancer, uh, how cancer has progressed, you know, when chemotherapy first came in, how it managed to cure, you know, children with cancer. And that's an area that where cancer has really progressed, where children, even with late stage cancers, can be cured, blood cancers can be cured. Um, so this is by Siddhartha, uh, Siddhartha Mukherjee. He's an oncologist based in New York, and uh, it was a New York Times bestseller. So I, I think that's something to think about. This is briefly about cancer. I mean, we know there are many types, uh, and majority happens in older patients with cancer. So what causes them? There's chemicals, there's viruses, bacteria, radiation, and some things that are internal as well. You know, things we consume, our diet, um, and like I mentioned, about 1 in 10 or to 1 in 15 patients, I mean, 15% of patients actually uh, get it via, you know, inheriting genes from their uh, parents. Huh? So I told you environmental factors, and I always mention tobacco because that's something you can really control. You know, obesity, you can control. Infections, to some extent, you can. There are vaccinations as well for 
HPV that prevents you from getting uh, cervical cancer, for example. Um, so modifiable causes, these are things that you can do to reduce your risk of getting cancer, right? So now focus on diet, because that's something you mentioned earlier in your question as well. And it accounts for a significant proportion of uh, cancers in, in adults. Now, there are many things about diet, right? So there's dietary fat. So what's the evidence behind all these things? And I quickly go through with you. So dietary fat, uh, there is some link to certain cancers, uh, like prostate cancer. Red meat also linked to colorectal cancer. Fruits and vegetables are good. So it reduces your risk of certain cancers, um, including prostate and colon cancer. Dairy not really associated. A lot of people say, you know, don't take dairy when you have cancer and all that. It's not true. You should still take if you need it. Uh, fiber definitely reduces the risk of colorectal cancer. Uh, sugar or glycemic load. I think overall, there's an increased risk, but it doesn't mean you should totally cut off all sugar if you already have cancer. I think that's it's not proven to worsen your uh, cancer progression. And the last bit is vitamins and mic uh, macronutrients. I think this is something we can talk about in a short while, you know, when we talk about antioxidants like vitamin A, C, and E. Unfortunately, it's not been found to be beneficial in reducing the risk of cancer. So that's an area that was quite surprising because you read a lot of things in all these, you know, uh, magazines that promote supplements and all that about how antioxidants are really good. Unfortunately, that's not the case in large scale, large trials. In fact, some antioxidants like vitamin E in prostate cancer, selenium um, in a particular trial was found to actually not, not just not benefit the patient, but may in fact increase risk of certain types of cancer as well. Uh, same goes uh, with uh, beta carotene in high doses. So certain vitamins are actually bad and can actually increase the risk of cancer. So maybe I'll stop sharing here um and go back to uh your questions yeah okay doctor so i mean we we we, we talk about sleep right i mean we, we yeah. all know what will happen if someone who doesn't have a proper eight hours or nine hours sleep nowadays people are just sleeping two hours three hours and then so many other things are actually. Uh, I think we we live in a world that constantly we are just chasing after the on the, the dollar sign. Uh, <laughs> but as we chase after the dollar sign, the dollar sign is actually running faster than us. So people have to work extra harder. So you know, sleep is. I think it's it can lead to a lot of other issues because our our the, the human system I think is constantly working without any break. So if we are not giving a good significant amount of rest, I think it, it, it is also lead to a lot of stuff. But of course, there's no uh, evidence showing that sleep also can can cause cancer. But but what is your take in this, Doctor? I mean, we, we talked about this earlier on. We, you covered nicely on the diet part. But sleep and physical activity. I mean, a guy or a woman who's very fit and strong, who goes to the gym, who does activity, who eats clean. And, you know, I, I, I do know a marathon runner who's a very fit guy. He, he got a lung cancer. So what is this equation? Because there's no equation. So oncologists like yourself and Prof, you will have, you know, you'll be also confused. What, what is exactly is happening? Why a, a super extreme athlete also can be in a victim for a cancer? So what, where we are heading to? So I think that's, that's unfortunately, you know, what I mentioned earlier, uh, the, the reality of the matter, which is you can't predict who is going to get this, except those who don't get enough sleep 
those who don't do enough physical activity or choose um, their or their dietary choices are poor uh, have a higher risk. But it doesn't mean if you don't do those things rightly uh, or you do it rightly, you won't get cancer. Because like the gentleman you mentioned, you know, he's an athlete and all that, runs marathons. But uh, of course, on the side, you wonder, you know, does he have any of these other habits? That's one question. Number two, could it be familial? Is it uh, something that he got from other, you know, the fact that other family members also have cancer risk and he carries a particular gene that increases that risk? Could it be environment? Because he's jogging, you know, in, in on the roads, there's uh, fumes, there's or every once in a while we suffer from haze. We don't even know the impact of that on lung cancer rates. I mean, in Singapore, generally smoking number, I mean, people who smoke uh, are fewer in number over the years for many reasons, you know, um, government campaigns, taxes on, on tobacco. But uh, as people now we are getting a lot of non-smokers who are getting cancer. So it could be something in the environment as well that we have not really uh, identified at this point in time. It could, it could be all the haze episodes that come every July, you know, it's in many years in the past. So uh, so that's why I think it's wrong to think of it from an angle that if a person sleeps enough, and that's important, it, it does help prevent uh, obesity, and obesity is linked to cancer in uh, many studies. Eating right, exercising enough, um, and you still get cancer. There, there are many other reasons that are out there that we can't explain at this point in time. But the key thing is if you do it right, your risk of cancer is a lot less. Right? Thank you, Prof, for that. Uh, we are also going to the next one. I know you have covered this. Um, we talked about antioxidant, and this is widely open in, in, in the market where people are constantly taking a lot of vitamins and antioxidants. And I you know that people are very health conscious nowadays. Um, I know you have answered that, but is there, um, uh, it does help. It does help. But uh, what is to a, to a certain level, what are we looking at? Even though we live in a tropical country, we are still vitamin D uh, deficiency, right? We, we yeah. don't have enough of all these uh, vitamins and that kind of stuff. So what is your take on this, though? So I think antioxidants, firstly, theoretically, it uh, makes sense because one of the potential causes of cancer is the development of free radicals in your body, right? So every time, you know, you uh, consume food and uh, the food is used to provide you energy, um, one of the byproducts are free radicals. So free radicals circulate, right? And the thinking is um, free radicals can actually, uh, you know, destroy good cells and they cause DNA damage and that may lead to cancer. So this is, of course, uh, partially proven as well in the lab. So the thinking is if you have something that can mop up all these free radicals and these are antioxidants. So th this includes the ACE vitamins, you know, A, C, E, uh, flavonoids, um, and all these are present in our natural food, you know, vegetables, fruits, uh, rich sources of all these antioxidants. So when we look at studies that are well-designed, these are phase three or what they call randomized control studies huh, that looked at these antioxidants. Unfortunately, currently there's no data that shows that consuming them in, uh, you know, levels that are higher than what's available in your natural food actually helps. And in fact, too much of it may actually make it pro-oxidant, too much of it. So what I would 
you know, recommend is firstly, if you have a well-balanced diet, uh, and HPB always has this uh, their programs, uh, you know, you know how much to put, how much, how many portions of vegetables, fruits you need in your meals. So if you follow that, you don't really need to top up a lot of these things. Now, vitamin D is a different question altogether. And you're right, many people are deficient in vitamin D because although we live in a tropical country, every time people go out in the hot sun, you see them holding umbrellas, you know, or, yeah, you know, everyone runs back to their homes, uh, switch on their aircon. It's too hot out there other than exercise. And when they exercise, everything is like covered up with UV protection, you know, uh, gear, whether it's in the pool and everywhere else. So, um, you know, they, people don't get enough vitamin D in by natural sunlight. And if you don't get enough vitamin D, you can't absorb calcium and then leads to many problems, you know, osteoporosis and all that. Uh, is there a link to cancer? Again, you know, preclinical studies uh, do show that, uh, you know, there may be some link, but actually none of the large studies have shown any link for deficiencies in these vitamins. So bottom line is, if you're taking a lot of vegetables, fruits, get some sunlight, should be fine from uh, many viewpoints. Uh, and you don't need to add on many of these supplements to prevent getting cancer because none of the studies have shown that. Thank you, Prof. Thank you for that uh, antioxidant and um, and also the sun that we needed. Even nowadays, if you look at it, uh, the the place that we, you know, I, I do go to a couple of gyms and it's all, um, you know, with aircon. Um, so it cools you down. I mean, um, basically, we understand because of the ventilation, it can be order and kind of stuff. But sometimes it's good that, you know, you go out and do a run and then you get yourself perspired. Um, so I think that's the way, you know, you're opening up your pores, your perspiration is going out. I mean, it's, it's just a form of thermogenic and your heat, you know, production from your body when you exercise. So I think that part, I, I totally agree as well. We need to go out in the sun. So we should be leaving our umbrellas at home only for rain. Then we tend to carry, we should carry. Um, Doc, we're going to go to the next question. Um, from your ex experience, what are the some uh, antioxidant people can take in on a daily basis to prevent cancer? So actually, uh, this is leads on from the last question, right? Um, you don't need any additional antioxidants uh, to be taken on a daily basis because it's not been proven to prevent cancer. And if you take it in, uh, you know, levels uh, that are too high, it actually can be bad for you. So rather than focusing on you know, uh, antioxidants and supplements, you should focus on a healthier, balanced diet. Uh, that's more important than considering adding on vitamins that are not so useful. Okay, Prof, we are taking one, sorry, we are taking one question right now. Um, so you mentioned about alcohol earlier. So how does alcohol affects and is it bad to have occasional uh, to be a drinker? So I'm, I'm, I'm sure uh, this will be a lot of uh, people's question in their mind. Um, yeah. If I should avoid alcohol. Yeah, so I, I mean, everything in moderation is fine. And uh, that's why there's recommendations on how much alcohol you should drink because alcohol can cause so many different kinds of problems, right? One, liver problems and chronic liver damage in the long run, many years down the road, you get fatty liver and you can get liver failure and also liver cancer. So that's one way it can affect you. Uh, chronic alcoholism also can cause damage to your GI tract, 
um, and you can cause you can get any of the GI, you know, gastrointestinal cancers as well. Now, to answer your question, is it bad for occasional drinkers? It depends on whether you drink small quantities occasionally or you binge drink occasionally. There are two different things. Binge drinking also is not good. Uh, still causes significant damage to your organs. So if you drink moderately and once in a while, it's not uh, going to do much harm. So I, I don't think that's a, a big problem. Yeah. But when I mean by alcohol, it's chronic alcoholism, uh, drinking a lot regularly, and that's going to cause damage to your organs and potentially increase your risk of cancer. Thank you, Prof. Uh, we have Regina here. So thank you, Regina. I mean, um, she's a positive about the treatment. I trusted the doctors and believe the treatment. So she's um, she's uh, sending um, messages here. Thank you. Thank you, Regina, for that. I um, wish you all the best and also God bless. Thank you. Well, once I, I lost your audio again. Sorry. Sorry, Doc. Sorry. Um, so does yeah. genetically modified food also causes cancer? Okay, this, this is a, again a major controversial topic, but I think the, the good news is in Asia, we don't really consume that much of or produce uh, and even consume a lot of genetically modified food. A lot of it is produced in North America, you know, US, Canada, um, Europe also, they're very selective about the kinds of uh, genetically modified food. Why do people even have these kind of food, right? I think that's the first question. The answer is because it's a more efficient way of producing food. Um, this, this kind of genetically modified uh, crops, whether it's corn or, you know, uh, yeah, other kinds of uh, uh, wheat and so on, they are all um, modified to an extent where they are resistant to being attacked by, you know, uh, uh, whatever kind of uh, pests that exist in these farms. And because of that, you don't need to use pesticides. Um, so there's some benefits as well. I mean, you don't have pesticides and all on all these crops. Now, and you get to produce uh, them in larger scale, in larger quantities, more efficiently than normal uh, crops. Uh, people's concerns are when you make changes to the genes and people consume this, uh, will it affect them in the long run? And the Food and Drug Administration in the US have, have looked at it in great detail because they have a lot of GMO products in, in the US um, and they found it's not unsafe. It doesn't cause cancer, but there's still a lot of doubts. So that's why many countries don't actually allow these kind of uh, products to be sold. Um, you know, and interestingly, even places like Kenya, they don't even do uh, GMO stuff uh, in their crops, even though it's quite challenging in terms of you know agriculture in those countries. But um, so the answer is we don't have enough evidence to show that it causes cancer, but there's still doubts. And I think scientists are still doing studies to see uh, whether this is true in the long term. But as of now, the answer is no. Uh, it's safe. FDA approves it. Um, and a lot of these products are sold uh, globally. Thank you, Doc. I mean, um, along the same um, scene still in the food part, you know, we always talk about the processed food. Um, <laughs> you know, those food like, you know, you buy it so cheap, extremely cheap in packets in frozen where you can just barbecue it. Um, are we adding more problems to ourselves instead of, you know, solving these problems within ourselves? Instead, we are adding more problems because one is cheap. Another one is good. Uh, another one is easily prepared and it's tasty. 
uh, on top of that, it tastes really good because I think all these artificial things are added into it, the pepper, the salt, whatever it's inside. You can't see what meat is that, but what is... Is, is this could be also be a, pro, a problem in the in the future, or is it already a problem right now? Uh, I think it's an, it is a problem in terms of uh, obesity and general well-being and health. Right? You rightly mentioned a lot of these are high salt uh, content products, and they have things like preservatives that keep it, uh, you know, in such a way that you can just you know freeze it in your fridge for a while or put it in normal uh, fridge temperature and still you know take it out and heat it up and eat because all these preservatives are keeping it, uh, you know, still viable. Now, all this, these things generally not good for you. I mean, lots of salt is not good. Uh, sugar, a lot of these things have all these products that are not healthy for general well-being. Does it cause cancer? No, we don't know. We don't know. Now, this, but because it leads to obesity and then obesity can, you know, increase your risk of certain cancers, the answer is yes. So indirectly, yes. Directly, we don't know whether these things uh, will cause cancer. Thank you, Prof. I mean, we are already uh, having a biggest a major pandemic with us, which is obesity, diabetes. Uh, on top of that, this COVID-19 also add on to the <laughs> problem, not a solution. But it seems like, you know, when 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 someone who doesn't control food, or doesn't exercise, uh, someone who's constantly working, not enough rest, binge eating, you know, eating all those food that should not be eating, you know, fast and quick. Um, so once the obesity comes in, diabetes kicks up. And then when diabetes kicks up, your blood pressure comes in. And then your blood pressure goes up, your cholesterol is there, and then you're leading more problems for your myocardial infarction. So it, limbs, it seems like, you know, if we know, uh, if we can prevent this earlier, uh, but the, 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 the choice, I think, is it is it something to do with the mental condition that, you know, we all live in this fast world that we need everything fast? I mean, is this could be the reason um, that, you know, the cancers are in the higher range, you know, because we, we're not sure what it was back in 60 or 80s, 60 years ago or 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But but nowadays, you know, the stats is a bit scary, right? You know, three in one, four in one. It seems like, hey, you know, everybody just want to hope, hey, it's not me, it's not me. If it happens, that's it. The Lord is calling you back. You know, it's, it's very crazy to, to, to go through, not only emotionally drained for the family, but the person who's having the condition, I do not know how, I can't explain how the person will go through, you know, nightmares and kind of stuff. But based on the observation from my dad, I I, I know he went through hell, he crawled out of it and he tried to go, you know, it's it's a big major turbulence for the whole entire family um, going through this. Um, in your line, Doc, I mean, you have seen people uh, and then you don't see the people in the next three months or two months. How do you feel, Doctor? I mean, you see cases like just, I mean, Prof, how, how, do you, how do you make your heart to be the strongest iron or whatever you call it to be? It's, it's tough. Yeah, bro, I, I agree. It's tough. Uh, it, the, like you rightly mentioned, it's not just the individual, right? It's the family members, uh, the people who care for them, uh, the friends. Everyone gets you know, affected when you know someone has cancer. And seeing them, you know, go through every single stage, and especially when it's terminal, the last few stages, I think people get, you know, really drained, right? So we we did a study on this a couple of years back on caregivers of cancer patients, like how you were or your family was, you know, your mom and everyone else taking care of your dad. 
And uh, what we found is uh, many of them suffered from caregiver stress, you know, and uh, the, because the focus is always on the patient and the caregivers, unfortunately, are neglected because who's going to take care of the caregiver? Who looks after their welfare, right? And so it's multifaceted. Many people get affected. And for us, you know, delivering the care also, it's not easy um, seeing patients uh, eventually suffering so much and we're trying our best to alleviate their suffering by the end they, they still pass on and uh, we have to learn to move on and try to help you know someone else go through the process as well and sometimes knowing that the end is coming i think the key thing is focusing on quality of life right making them as comfortable as possible and most patients with that's the main thing they want you know they'll tell you know me doc uh, it, it's not how long you can make me live but for that period that i'm going to live can you make me comfortable? You know, can you make sure I don't suffer pain? I don't suffer, you know, all the side effects, war nausea, vomiting, uh, or at least minimize that. Yeah. So that that's the key thing that we hope to be able to, you know, deliver to our patients. Uh, going back to the first part of your question about our lifestyle, I think, yeah, sometimes, you know, people have feel they don't have a choice, right? They have to work to put food on the table. And in the process, you know, all these things get neglected. But now I, I see a change and I think you see it as well. You know, people will approach you and say, Vance, you know, can you be my, you know, fitness coach and, and you know, life coach and things like that. You, because they, they see what you offer as, a, as something holistic, you see, that can sort out a lot of their, you know, issues, uh, whether it's physical, mental, so on and so forth. So a lot of people are seeking this out, you know, I mean, you know, many people have turned to yoga, uh, you know, um, a lot of people are running nowadays, you know, circuit breaker, I've never seen so many people run uh, ever, right? So one is to get out of the house, but I think a lot of them, it became a habit. So it's a good habit. And so we, we are seeing a change. People are, are getting aware and, uh, and through these kind of, uh, you know, platforms, they get all the information and Hopefully, more people will make those right changes. Thank you, Prof. Um, we we will, will want to take a, a question right now. Um, and and I think Regina also been a greater support here. Thank you, Regina, for all these um, messages they're sending. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have went through the biggest hurdle and um, overcome uh, all these challenges and obstacles that you have. Thank you. Thank you, Regina, for all the messages that's coming in. I was alone in my journey. Yeah could be challenging as well, but uh, you are a survivor. Thank you, Regina. Um, Doc, so we have um, a, a question right now here. Dear Prof, what is the advancement of breast care treatment in Singapore? For an example, triple negative or a two plus question mark, if I get it right. Yeah. 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 So, okay, firstly, disclaimer is I, I don't really treat breast cancer. I'm a uro urology oncologist, so I treat prostate, bladder, kidney. But I, I can answer this. I, firstly, I think one of the reasons why um, uh, our, the viewers asked about triple negative is it's a very challenging uh, cancer to treat amongst breast cancers. It's in fact, you know, one of the, the most aggressive breast cancer uh, uh, types that we know of. And the latest will be recently they found that immunotherapy with chemo uh, given before surgery is done um, has been very effective. So new immunotherapy has come in a big way, even in breast cancer. So that's a new innovation that's come in in the last maybe six years. But in breast cancer, just over the last 
I think six months ago, it was approved uh, for use in triple negative breast cancer. So that has improved uh, survival for that group of patients. So immuno plus chemo before uh, doing surgery uh, has been one of the major breakthroughs. Thank you, Prof. Uh, thank you, um, um, the, uh, Primi. Thank you so much. We we have another viewer who's uh, constantly asking in Basa Malayu. Uh, William, I, I, I truly understand. I know all the messages are coming in, but you will be appreciated if you can uh, type it out in English so that I can ask Prof as well because there's a couple of messages that came in. So it's not that I do not want to answer these questions or Prof don't want to answer, but we, we try to keep it very uh, in the English format. Yeah? Thank you so much. I hope you understand that. Uh, Doc, we are going to go to another few more questions um, before we, you know, we call it off a day. Uh, to date... Is there a vaccine that can prevent cancer? Yeah, so good question. And the answer is yes. So um, in as of last year, in Singapore schools, uh, anybody who turns, uh, all females who turn 12 are given an option to get the HPV vaccination or human papilloma virus vaccination. Why? Because HPV is a proven cause of cervical cancer which is amongst the top five female cancers. So once you get the vaccination, uh, your risk of getting HPV uh, reduces significantly and your risk of getting cervical cancer obviously drops to negligible levels. So that is the only vaccination so far that's been shown uh, to prevent cancer. Now, are there other vaccines coming into the picture? The answer is yes. Some are used to treat cancers so that's a, in fact, the mRNA vaccine that you, we all got for COVID-19, all those companies uh, that developed it, Bi, uh, BioNTech, um, uh, Moderna, they, are all, they were all cancer uh, companies. The mRNA technology was actually meant for cancer, uh, to find treatment for cancer. Um, but they obviously used the same technology. Uh, to develop vaccines for COVID-19 as well. So vaccines are going to come in a big way. But for now, yes, there's uh, the uh, vaccines that we use to prevent uh, cervical cancer that all females will get uh, once they are 12 years old. Thank you, uh, Prof. Uh, Prof, uh, we also have Premi again. Um, also, she's asking some um, um, advisors here. Uh, can breast yeah. cancer patients who has completed treatment can take HPV vaccine? Yeah, you can. The thing is, HPV vaccine works best when you have not uh, been exposed uh, or you've not had sexual intercourse or exposed to the virus. But if you've already been exposed to the virus, then the benefit actually reduces uh, tremendously. So it doesn't mean you shouldn't get it, but you should talk to your doctor about it and, uh, and then uh, consider doing it. But uh, as I mentioned, it's best taken. Uh, in fact, if you look at the, the labeling also, initially the studies were all done on patients who were uh, I mean, people who are less than 26 years of age. Uh... Thank you, doctor. Thank you, doctor. Um, we, we just have five more minutes. So if viewers have any more questions for Prof, uh, please do so, because after which we're just going to end the session. Um, Prof, I mean, I mean, it just uh, it's my question personally. Um, when, you, when you just finish your you know, medical, medical school and kind of stuff, is there something that interests you to become uh, oncologist in this part, or is this something that um, that inspired you, you know, to to go deeper into this? 
Yeah, uh, um, interesting question. And uh, actually, like you, once um, I lost my mother to breast cancer, and uh, when she first was diagnosed, uh, which was in 2007, was when I was deciding what specialty to do. Uh, and when I went, you know, reading about, you know, breast cancer treatment and all, I realized there's just so much uh, that uh, as to do. There's so much to do in oncology that because we're so far away from a cure, uh, there are not many treatment options, and that got me interested. Um, at that point, she had localized cancer, which was cured. Unfortunately, you know, it relapsed in uh, 2015, and she passed away two years later. But uh, by the time, I was already an oncologist, really. But that was one of the reasons why I got into it. Uh. Thank you, Doctor. I mean, um, we, we really hope that uh, in the medical science, there's some kind of a breakthrough because even though uh, I remember this uh, many years back um, I, I was training a gentleman he was 38 years old and he was still studying in the NUS and he's actually in one of the cancer research team and I told him will you ever stop studying he said no he's been studying for the past 38 years and he's still studying and he's still working on this you know a new I mean hopefully a, a, a miracle that you know that he's hoping for but you know, it's such a, in, in most of these diseases, even uh, we talk about HIV, you know, after a, quickly, as soon as possible, they found medications and to prevent it and kind of stuff. But this seems to be very, very challenging, right? Our own cells are turning against us for no reasons. <laughs> you know, it's a bit, a bit, a bit of a challenging to, 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 to even to talk about it. And um, I mean, you have been in this for many years. Um, and I'm sure you've also been looking at all these things. But um, again, Doctor, we're coming back to the same old question that we talked about. And in, in, in the near future, um, you think more uh, areas of solutions can be found. You know, now we, when we compare, uh, now it's so much better, right? I mean, in, in terms of um, hospice cares and even, you know, yeah. um, therapies that we all talk about. But do you think it will even get better as time goes by and eventually yeah. um, things will get better? Yeah, for, for sure. I think what you mentioned is obviously once uh, cancer is terminal, you know, at the tail end. But I think the big focus now should actually be in preventing it, right? Lifestyle changes, go and exercise, get enough sleep, diet, those things that you mentioned many times in, in our conversation. Um, and you're going to see, you're already seeing people doing it really. You're seeing people, you know, now working from home, they realize that, you know what, I can carve out time for exercise. I can do a lot more, a lot more of these things. Of course, there's a school of thought that working from home has caused more stress and, and more work because people, your boss can reach you at any time and ask you to do things. But um, I, I, I definitely am hopeful that uh, things will get better. And, and now with technology, that we're going to probably reach a stage where you could do a blood test and that blood test can screen for actual, you know, uh, DNA components of uh, tumor cells circulating and pick it up at a very early stage before even the cancer develops in a person. Um, and one area where this has advanced is in nasal cancer, nasopharyngeal carcinoma. Um, and so this, these kind of tests are going to come in a big way. So this is bringing forward the diagnosis even before it forms, you know, uh, at a super early stage um, and, and find treatments at, at that point before a patient gets it. So, so prevention is still better than cure, right? If you don't get it, 
better than getting it and trying to find a cure for it. And cure is still better than finding it out very late where it is, you know, palliative and things like that. So I, I definitely see a shift to the focus on prevention and, and more treatments that can cure. Thank you, right. Doctor. So, uh, so in, in, in um, um, what will be the suggestion, I mean, uh, for everyone to go for a, a, a test in, in for cancers, like a markers, you know, to make sure that uh, one is safe? Is it like a yearly thing that they have to go through for, for early prevention, you know, uh, even for, for women, the breast, or even for the guys, the prostate? You know, is there an indication like every eight months or every after a certain age, maybe say after 45, you need to do it every six months? Is, is there some kind yeah. of... Um, yeah, for, for some cancers, yes. For a lot of cancers, we don't have uh, that kind of screening guidelines. So, for example, you mentioned breast, right? So, the current guideline in Singapore and also many countries like the US is once you're 50 years old, you should be doing your mammograms uh, once uh, every two years. But if you have strong family history, like someone else who has breast cancer at a younger age, um, then you may have to consider doing it at, from 40 years onwards. So it depends on these things. These things are available online. You can actually check them out. Uh, Singapore has uh, cancer screening guidelines. It's a bit dated, uh, about 10 years old, but nothing has changed in terms of the science behind it. Prostate, for example, also can start at 50, but you need to talk to your doctor whether you want to do it or not, because a lot of times, sometimes doing these tests may yield false positive, cause a lot of anxiety. That's why I wouldn't recommend just doing blood tests that, uh, you know, look at tumor markers. You know, you mentioned just now, you know, some people do tumor markers and they find out, actually a lot of people find out the other way around. They, they get a positive tumor marker test and actually don't have anything. And in the process, they unnecessarily go through colonoscopes and CT scans and all that. So I think, you know, talk to your doctor and the do your GP will be able to advise on what's got evidence behind it and what doesn't. Yeah. Thank you, Prof. So we just take one more last question and then we'll end the uh, session itself. Um, so you said that I know a patient doctor. Uh, it's about cancer stage four. Um, I believe that it just can lie for four years. Uh, heard about prostate cancer stage four can live for 10 years. So I think William is just asking about the number of years if someone is already in the stage four uh, for the life, uh, either is for 10 years or four years. Yeah, so I think this is again um, is a clear example of how different cancer is from patient to patient. So I think what he means by what he heard about stage four cancer patients can survive 10 years is one end of the spectrum. Patients who have very slow growing prostate cancer, uh, maybe only affecting, uh, you know, some lymph nodes and the prostate can be, you know, treated with radiotherapy, things like that. Uh, with current treatment, you can push maybe seven years and beyond up to 10. But there are others whose cancer spread is very extensive and looks like I think this patient, you know, has all the treatments that we can offer in that list. Uh, and unfortunately, now is only at the four-year mark. So there are, you know, different ends of the spectrum. So it's not about whether this patient uh, got the right treatment or not. It looks like everything, you know, that is out there has been given to this patient. It's just he's got a more aggressive disease. That's unfortunately the case. Thank you, uh, Prof, for spending almost one hour of your precious time. I mean, this uh, one hour of your time, you probably will have spent more time with your family or taken a well rest before you're heading to, you know, 
Uh, but, you know, it, I'm really privileged to sp speak to you, Prof, on the topic of cancer. And I'll bring a little light um, to the end of the tunnel and, and and also to our viewers as well in Kopi with Wen. So thank you so much, Doc. Um, is there any um, final uh, tip or advice that you want to say to our viewers who are watching this? Nope. I think most of the things we discuss uh, about lifestyle, right? Uh, diet, exercise, sleep. Um, screening tests, uh, vaccination. So I think you covered everything once. Uh, it was great talking to you as well, and thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Prof. Uh, we will definitely stay connected. Um, I'm, I'm sure there will be more uh, talk sessions in the future and uh, a lot more other exciting stuff to do with you as well. Uh, thank you, Prof. We will stay connected, um, and, and, and thank you so much. Thanks, and good night, Matt. Thanks. Thank you, Prof. All right, so that was the uh, our associate professor, Ravindran Kanishwaran. Uh, thank you so much for spending almost about an hour. I mean, uh, to have his time at Kopi Advance is really blessed. I'm really blessed to have him on our talk show. Um, that's what uh, Kopi Advance is all aimed about, uh, to bring individual experts um, in the medical um, field to come and give their um, expertise on these areas. And, and of course, for viewers as well to, to sit back at home and enjoy, um, you know, our health shows. And um, yes, we have more exciting um, talk shows that's going to come up, uh, lined up as well for next month. And um, if you do have any topics that you want to know or you want us to bring in, so please, uh, as usual, message us at Copy Events and I'll be most uh, delightfully you know look into this and see how we can bring this topic but um, just talking a little bit on what prof have said i think um it doesn't matter uh who you are either you are rich or poor or whether you're staying in the middle class or you're staying in the biggest bungalow or you drive a sports car or non-sports car you can be fit unfit um, these are things that uh, are real thing about life um, your own body will turn against you. And I think this beautiful, we call it the body, but some call it the beautiful machine. Um, if you do not take care of it, it will definitely will break down. And um, I think time to time, we need to do some reality check on ourselves. Uh, make sure that we eat well, as what Prof has said. We need to sleep well, need to hydrate well. You know, we need to take our minerals and vitamins at the same time, um, you know, we need to slow down. Certain times, slowing down is perfectly fine. I think the problem is we don't slow down. <laughs> That's why I think the human uh, is designed for, right? We're always rushing out for things to get it done. We're always working on our deadlines. We're always on stress. I think we need to take a few steps back. I think it's not a big issue. You know, at the end of the day, of course, um, we need to do what we need to do. But if you tend to relax yourself a little bit, I think a lot of stuff that, you know, over the past 18 months in Kopi events, we talked about, you know, mental resilience, how you fine tune it, or even when we talk about nutrition, when we talk about a lot of other stuff of the body, August, we, we covered a bigger, big variety. I mean, for me, uh, I'm learning as, 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 um, as each topic goes by, it's getting into deeper and deeper. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we're going to bring in more um, experts on board, like just like Prof. Um, thank you, Prof, for joining us at uh, Kopi Events. It's my great pleasure. And uh, I will catch you again on our next topic, which we will 
release the topic very soon. For now, this is Vance, Kopi with Vance. I will catch you. Ciao. Thank you.